This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's son and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I would depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Samson. Um, like Joy said, if you want a copy of uh, uh, the Bible passage, it's at the back. Um, do take one. Um, if you have a Bible, do open it to chapter 1 of Job. We'll cover chapter one, chapters 1 and 2. Um, but as we open up um, this series on, on Job, let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you um, that God, you are a speaking God, um, a God who addresses us, a God who knows um, what we're going through. And Lord, we pray now that in our various circumstances, you would speak to us and help us to see your greatness. Help us to uh, trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. What's been the hardest moments in your life? I talk about uh, the, my cousin's uh, suicide uh, quite a lot, but there have been some other moments as well. Uh, my broken engagement, that was really hard. 
um, before Barney was born, uh, three miscarriages um, we had in a row, and that was really hard. And to be honest, that one caught us by a surprise. After the first one, I remember sitting by the cafe, talking to Mary, trying to comfort her, and all of a sudden, a sudden as I was trying to comfort her, this big lump uh, came up on my throat and with lots and lots of tears, and I couldn't even really understand why. I didn't think that I was that sad. I thought I could comfort Mary, but these just tears came about and you know it was just a baby that was in theory I didn't even meet this baby that was hard and many of you went through many hard things in this church people losing their wife uh, you know heart uh, heart attack uh, stillborn um, births um, suicide uh, birth defects cancer diagnoses how did you react to each of these things and how did it change your relationship with God did it change your your relationship um, to God on the surface the book of Job is about suffering but it's actually not about suffering it's about something more fundamental to that suffering clarifies it takes away the the weeds to really answer the question that the book wants to answer which is what is the nature of your relationship with God. How would you characterize that relationship? Uh, when, why bother with him? Would you still love him? Would you still worship him? Would you still obey him and do the good things that you normally do when everything you know about God and how he rules the world, everything that you think is right about the world is taken away and it's shattered and all you're left is God? Would you still love him, worship him, bother with him? Book of Job is part of the wisdom literature that answers the question of what's a good life? How do you live a good life? What is, what is a good life? And Job, by all accounts, lived a good life. He lived a great life apparently, right? He lived in this land of Uz. Um, we don't know exactly where that is, but we know that for, um, for all of us, what's important is that it's in the east of Eden, right? It's not part of the promised land. It's, it's, it's outside of it. It's in this fallen place. But in this fallen place, he lived in a garden of Eden. Everything was right with him. He had seven sons, three daughters, uh, he had camels, donkeys, uh, oxen, many, many servants. We're told in verse 3 that he was the greatest man on that, uh, in that part of the world, in the people of the East. You know, we think of these days, uh, sometimes when people are rich, we think, ah, that person probably is corrupt in some ways. Um, but back then, uh, wealth was a clear sign of God's blessings because how you got wealthy was because of these oxen and uh, donkeys and, and the crops being blessed by God. They felt like they had no control over these things. And when they increased, it was because God blessed them. And Job was blessed by God. And why wouldn't he have been? I mean, take a look at how he's described in verse 1, which is repeated uh, word for word in verse 8. By God, the man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He was upright. He was just and blameless. And not only that, not only was he concerned for himself, he was concerned for his family. 
just in case his children had sinned, he would offer sacrifices. Every time they had a party, he would have a sacrifice for his kids because he loved them and he cared for them. He wanted them to be blameless and upright. But his life, that blessed life, was changed in a day. And in verse 6, we're presented with this extraordinary scene, a window into heaven, what goes on in heaven. We don't get this view very often, but when we do get it, we see that God isn't ruling alone. He's with these angels, sons of God, literally. These divine spiritual beings whom God in charge with some power to rule over the world. And in that fallen world, in this fallen world, Satan even has a role. Remember, Satan is called, what's he called in the New Testament? The ruler of this world. John chapter 12, 31, the prince of the powers of the air. A picture here is God ruling through these uh, heavenly beings who are in charge with ruling over the world, and Satan has a part. He plays a role here in this chapter of the prosecutor. And that it is the prosecution. You know, that is accentuated, that, that's underscored by the fact that it's not Satan, the, pro, the, the proper, uh, uh, it, it's not Satan, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the Satan. It's the accuser, the challenger. Satan is playing that role of a prosecution, bringing accusations against God's people to God, and God lets him play that role. He isn't an opposing force equal to God outside of God control, God's control causing chaos, right? He's limited in what he's allowed to do. And here, as he comes, God speaks to him. Uh, have you considered my servant Job? Verse uh, 8. There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Then the accuser, the Satan, uh, raises the central question of the book, but why? Why does Job do what he does? Why is he blameless? Why is he upright? Isn't it because you bless him for the things that he does? Because he's getting things from you, right? If you take away everything, Satan says in verse 11, uh, he will surely curse you to your face. Isn't it because, verse 10, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything else he has? You have blessed his, the work of his hands. He says, look, the reason why Job does what he does, reason why he relates to you in this way, well, is because he's getting things from you. And if you take it away, then he'll curse you. That is the central question of the book. And that is a central question that I want to ask you. What is the nature of your relationship with God? What is the nature of your relationship with God? Is he your business partner? You know, you're trying to be good to God so that you would get something from him, so that he would bless you. Is he like Santa? Santa, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. He knows whether you've been good or bad. Is he just there, uh, and you're trying to be good so you would get something from him? What is at the bottom of your relationship with God? Why do you bother with him? And to find out 
what is at the bottom of that relationship with God, Job's relationship with God. God allows Satan. Does Satan take away everything, all the good things that God blessed him with in the beginning, and it all happens in one shocking day. One shocking day. Verse 15, the Sabaeans come and rob him of his oxen and donkeys. The fire from heaven comes down, verse 16, and kills all the sheep and and servants. Even before that news is digested, Chaldeans come in verse 17 and take away, rob all his camels. And the worst thing that I could think of comes. I mean, there are people in Shatin Church who have lost their children. In one day, this gust of wind comes and collapses the house where all of his children, 10 of them were gathered, and they all get killed in one day. And we don't have the time to read chapter 2. It's repeated, and it gets worse. When Job refuses to curse God, Satan challenges him again. Well, that's because he's got this one thing. You take that one thing that he has away from you, he will curse you. What is that one thing? His health. And God shockingly says, okay. And so a sore breaks out from the crown of his head all the way to the bottom of his toe. And the pus comes out. He's stricken out with this curse. And he's sitting there in chapter 2, verse 8. In this amongst the ashes. You know, in Jerusalem, out right outside of the city wall where, where the garbage was collected and burnt. Um, that was called Gehenna, uh, often translated as hell. In a place like that, he's sitting there. He's gotten this piece of pottery, broken piece of pottery, and because it's so painful and it's all over his body, he scrapes his body with that piece of pottery. Clearly, this is unjust. And the question comes, what kind of a god allows this to happen. Job did nothing wrong. And that point is clear because God himself says so. He is blameless and upright. It wasn't, up to, it wasn't because of him, anything that he did. Job's animals, his children didn't do anything wrong. And we can't even really blame Satan, right? Uh, that Satan suggests these things, but it's God who allows it to happen. In fact, God takes responsibility Uh, of of what has happened. Take a look in chapter 2, verse 3. He says to Satan, he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. You incited me. I did this, God says, without any reason that can be attributed to Job. Well, what kind of a God does that? It's a problem. A writer uh, put it this way, if God is capable of destroying 10 children and stripping Job of any human dignity on a bed, on a dare, then he is, to my mind, a very immature, highly insecure, and a deeply troubled God. Certainly no better than any worst view of Satan. Is he any better than Satan, this writer asks. Of course, we don't have to look to Job to ask this question. We ask this sort of question all the time. As we look at the war that's going on in Ukraine, we go, what kind of a God allows this war to keep on going on? What kind of God allows all sorts of wars to happen and senseless killing of people? 
people and animals and children to happen. What kind of a God does that? What kind of a God allows the virus, a virus to, to wreak havoc all around the world, kill millions of people? What kind of a God allows rape, uh, suffering of children, uh, the, the unmentionable things uh, that happen all over the world? What kind of a God allows that to happen? And we should feel the force of these questions because they are the questions that Job wants us to ask. And there are many people who dismiss Christianity because of these questions. But let me assure you, first of all, that, that these are not new questions. These are questions that, the, that Job is wrestling with. This book is wrestling with. There are many other books in the Bible that wrestles with the similar kinds of questions. What kind of a God does these things? And by the Bible addresses these questions. And not only that, not only that, in the coming um, pages, we will find out what kind of a God does this. But not only that, at the bottom of it, you know, this isn't a new question for us because isn't Christianity, the whole rationale for uh, what, what Christianity is, isn't it based on this one truly innocent person who did absolutely nothing wrong, suffering? That is the basis of Christianity. So don't let these questions drive you away from God. Like Job, come to God. Come to God and ask God. Ask an audience with God. Come to the Bible asking these questions. Come to your links groups asking these questions. But I want to say, but as we open these two chapters, actually it doesn't answer the question, what kind of a God does this? Well, at least not yet. But it does it does answer this question of how God rules the world. Part of it, that sometimes God allows evil to t take place in this world. In this fallen world, God allows evil. God does not simply bless the, wick uh, bless the, 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 the upright and punish the wicked. Although the moral arc of the universe, as Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, bends towards justice, the world isn't always just. God allows evil. God allows Satan to function in his court. Why, you might ask. I'm not sure. Um, and how does God do this calculus? How, why does God allow this evil and prevent this one? I'm sure that God prevents many, many evil things to happen from the world. Well, how does God decide? The thing is, we, won't, we don't get those answers in the book of Job. Remember, Job never got an answer. Never got an answer on why his family died. Why all of his things were taken away. Never in this book of Job. He's never revealed uh, uh, that, that, that scene in heaven that we have seen. Well, we have seen that scene, uh, the divine counsel. But actually, don't you think it raises more questions <laughs> than it answers? Well, wh what's Satan doing there? Right? Why does God even entertain Satan and what he says? And what goes on in his mind when he decides, yes, okay, that, 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 let's, let's, let's let that happen. We don't get an answer to God's mind. What goes on in God's mind? We don't get those answers. Just like many of you went through things in your life that you still are not sure about. I don't know why some of the things that happened in my life happened the way they did. I still don't know. 
There's no complete satisfactory answer for those things. But precisely because Job didn't know, uh, the, from the begin beginning till the end, uh, the, the precise nature of Job's relationship with God is revealed. And when we don't know why our children die, why we're cheated and robbed, why cancer comes and robs a young life when a healthy mom dies all of a sudden uh, with a heart attack. When we don't know, they test and reveal the character of our relationship with God. Why do we relate to God the way that we do? And when we don't know the answers to the whys, will we still trust God? Biblical scholar John Walton put it this way, where our revelation is silent and the logic of theology fails, our, our logic of our theology fails, however, we're not without recourse. This is where the faith, where faith begins. Will we trust God when we don't know the answer? Understandably, many do fall away. When people suffer, many uh, fall into self-pity and, and doubt, and many do fall away um, from faith. Eli Wiesel um, is uh, one of them. He wrote in that famous book, um, uh, The Night, he famously starts a book saying, Never shall I forget, forget that night when he was sent into Auschwitz, the first night in camp which has turned my life into one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget that little faces of the children whose bodies I saw turned into reeds of smoke beneath the silent blue sky. Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget that nocturnal silence which deprived me for all eternity of the desire to live Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my, turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget these things, even if I'm consigned to live as long as God himself. Never. Which killed my God, which killed my soul. Well, this is how Job responds to his suffering. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of that, Job did not sin by attributing wrongdoing to God. When everything goes wrong, he falls down and he worships God. Well, how is he able to do this? We're given uh, two hints here at, at this point. Uh, the first is that he's steeped in the theology of grace. He exclaims, naked I came and naked I will go, right? He, when he looks at his life, when he looks at everything that was, uh, was his life, he didn't see just the things. He didn't just see the blessings of camels and the uh, donkeys and the wealth and the status and his children. You know, through all of that, he saw God and God's grace. 
He didn't see things that he was entitled to, things that he earned. As he saw all that he had, he said, well, it came from God. It wasn't mine. God gave, and God takes away. He saw the gift giver through all of it. Matthew Henry was a man who wrote a, a, a famous commentary in the entire Bible. He was robbed one day uh, at one point, and this is what he wrote when he came back home. He wrote down, Lord, I thank you. I've never been robbed before. Although they took my money, they spared my life. Although they took everything, it wasn't very much. And that, um, that it was I that was robbed and not uh, who robbed he saw himself, even who he was, the fact that he wasn't the guy who was going out robbing people, that he was robbed, not the one who's, who was robbing. He saw that as a gift that comes from God. These people were steeped in the theology of grace. And so Job knew that all good things came from God, and he saw the gift giver through all of it. And secondly, he was able to worship God in that pit of ashes because he trusted in God's sovereignty, that he was in control. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away, has taken away. Yes, it was the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans, um, the, the, thunder, the, the lightning and the gust of wind. But through all of those things, he did see God's, God's hand through them all. It wasn't just the people. It wasn't just natural disaster. It was God. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And rather than, uh, than him making him despair, because he had someone he, that he could go to, someone that he trusted, someone that he knew was in control, that somebody that he knew was behind it all, he was comforted by that. He knew that God must have had his reason, even if he couldn't understand what was going on. You see, he was what God actually called him to be, a man who feared God. Yeah, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Book of Job attribute fear of God as the beginning of wisdom. And in some ways, the whole book is about that, fear of God. What does it mean to fear God? It doesn't mean simply being afraid of God. Fearing God means knowing that God is God and that we are not. That God is God in his holy throne above us and beyond us. That he has his reasons that we can trust, that we are not him. And so he was okay with this. That doesn't mean that this was easy. In these coming chapters, we'll see how his faith is tested. He will despair. He will, go his up, he will have his ups and downs in the coming chapters. But friends, I want to assure you that we have even more of a reason, right, to fear God. We have a, even more of a reason to love God, not just to fear him, but to love him. We know how the story of Job turns out. We know how the story of Joseph turned out, uh, the story of Moses and God's people, uh, the history of Israel. We have the entire Bible. We have uh, the story of Jesus, this innocent man who lived a perfect life, and how God could use the greatest evil in this whole world to bring the greatest good. We have those reasons to trust God. 
we know how the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Sorry. Uh, and, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I know that many of us are suffering, and many of us, if you haven't suffered like this uh, beyond reason, uh, then uh, it will come. If you live long enough, suffering like this will come. What will you do? I hope you will be able to say with Job, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the, may the name of the Lord be blessed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that as we look to the creation and the goodness of the world, in many ways it reveals your goodness, reveals your moral beauty, your power, your wisdom, your knowledge, your goodness. As we look to the Bible, the stories of the Bible, it reveals your patience, your grace, your kindness, your justice, your love, your holiness. As we look to the story of Jesus, it reveals all those things and much more. Your amazing grace, the love that is beyond our understanding. Lord, when everything is taken away, when our world shatters, when the things that we valued are taken away, Lord, help us to go back to you, to you and trust you. Help us to see that the basis of life is not abundance of possessions, abundance even of relationships that we have here on earth, but that all these things come from you. Help us to see you and help us to go to you. Help us to worship you. Help us to praise you. And we pray for many who are suffering even now that you would lift their eyes up to see you that they would just see you most clearly. When everything is taken away, that they would see you clearly. And Lord, would you prepare us for the time of suffering as well. Lord, help us to be people who trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to sing. Um, we're going to sing.